Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasha and my guest today is Tara Getty, one of M Beyond's shareholders. Tara will be speaking about how his love for Africa developed and combined with his dedication to caring for both land and marine environments. He will also share some of his memories from the early days of M Beyond Pinder Private Game Reserve where Enbeyond's innovative model of ecotourism was born. Please note that this podcast was recorded live at Pinda in the midst of a Zulu land thunderstorm. We apologize for the poor sound quality, but hope that you enjoy the soundtrack of nature. Tara, where did your love for Africa begin? What were your first encounters with the continent and how did things go from there? Right at the beginning, my love for Africa started with my, my year off in 1986 when I came to East Africa and started working for six months in Zavo West, which is a wonderful game reserve. They were doing rhino protection there, and I started doing all that. And then I went, went back, and I thought, gosh, that's, that's just been fantastic and real eye-opener. I was already going to study agriculture at college, so it was right up my street. And I thought, if ever something, an opportunity comes again. And then four years later, my brother phones up and says, the most extraordinary things happened. We've, we had these investors come to the bank. He was working in a bank in, in London. And they wanted us to invest in a startup ecotourism project. So that's, that's kind of how it started. And, and he said, wouldn't it be amazing if us as a family got involved? And I went, absolutely. And sure enough, a year later, I flew out here in December of 92 and came to Pinder. And it had just opened and Forest Lodge hadn't even opened. And two years later, 94, I started working here at Pinder and then at Ngala. And then I did a stint at Londolozi. And then by 95, I thought, I'm going to come back again. And I'm going to try and bring my then girlfriend. And that was towards the end of 95. And sure enough, from there, the ball rolled. And I spent my time in many of the different reserves from Zimbabwe, from beginning to build Matetsi, to lodge development here, doing the lodges here at Pinda. And where else? Gosh, all over the place, really. I did stints at, at head office, helping out there and then finally settled down here with Les Carlisle, and that's where the, what was then called the RIF, which is the Rural Investment Fund, that was beginning to get momentum. We'd had this big donation, and Les was dragging me along to all the community meetings, and that's how I sort of got involved with, with the foundation. That, we're talking about 96 then, I, I would have thought. What was it like when you first visited Africa as a young, impressionable man? Well... We're actually on a whirlwind tour of Ngala, Londolozi and Pinda. Those are the only three things we had under the Conservation Corporation umbrella to start with. So the first place we went to was Ngala. And I think that stood out because it was the first place we'd, we'd, we'd literally got off the plane and we got on a, in Joba, got on a little plane, flew straight up to, to Ngala and landed there and went, wow, this is extraordinary. And as you know, it was an old, old camp that had been redone. And so my first impressions there are, are of the wonderful wilderness, etc. And then we flew, flew down to here, and it was so green, because Ngala, as you know, is quite dry anyway, not this time, but normally it's a pretty dry, dry place. And then we came down here, and it was so lush and completely different, humid, whereas Ngala is always quite, has a dry feeling to it. And the story here is completely different, obviously, to Ngala, and I was very interested in, in the bringing all the little bits of land and trying to bring them together and trying to create a, a wilderness area, a game reserve that hadn't been for, you know, for 60, 70 years. 
that really impressed us. My, my, it was a trip with my brother and I that we did in 92 that really opened our eyes to what we were, what we were letting into. We were only just minor investors in the, in the, in the whole company then, but um, it was a great, great eye-opener. And, and very different to East Africa, where I'd been, that's the only other exposure I'd had. What was Pinda like in those early days? Was there a huge contrast between the intact game reserve that you see now and the rough blocks of land you experienced then? Well, I mean, in those days, we hadn't really finished establishing. We, we didn't have any buffalo, so we weren't big five. And obviously that was one of our main things was to become big five. We couldn't have buffalo because I can't remember there was some TB issue going on there. And we had neighboring landowners who were cattle farmers, obviously, and they didn't want the TB thing going on, the spread between the, the buff and the... So, so that took a while to set up. We were still expanding Pinder. We still had several lodges that weren't finished and hadn't even been built. The runway was just a dirt strip. So it was very different and much smaller. And we were just beginning the whole community thing. So that was just, we were just delving into that. Tara, you mentioned that your first visit to Africa was to East Africa. What effect did that have on you and how did it help determine what happened next? My love for Africa started with my, my gap year or year off, as we used to call it, in, in East Africa, which was in Kenya and at Zavo, which is a beautiful game reserve south of Nairobi on the way to, to the coast. And they were actually doing protection of the rhino. It already started then. This is, 1990, this is 1986. Our job was to try and keep these rhinos safe. So that was the beginning of my love for Africa. And Kenya is the most beautiful country, so it, it really got under my skin. I was there for a few months with a friend, and we had the most wonderful time. And I think that was probably the start of my love affair, as we all know, with Africa. It gets under your skin, and, and you, can't, you can't get it out. I then went back to England and carried on there. Three, four years later, my brother phoned me up and said he'd had the most extraordinary meeting in, in the bank that he was working in London where some investors had come in to start up an eco-tourism project, which was Conservation Corporation, and that he thought, as a family, we should get involved, we should invest in it. And what did I, did I think it was a good idea? Um, of course, I did think it was a fantastic idea, and that's really where it started. And from then on in, we've rolled with that, and it's now and beyond. What was your first encounter with Pinda, and what were your impressions? Two years after that, 1992, we came here. We'd just started Pinda. In fact, Forest Lodge hadn't even been built. Mountain had just been opened, and we came as a family. We were doing a tour of Ngala, Londolozi, and Pinda. The difference between all three is, is quite amazing. I was quite surprised, having been in Kenya, that, that you could have such differences in, in a small Obviously, we were on a plane, so we were moving between the three, but they were so different, these three initial set-up lodges. Londolozi, obviously, had been going for, for years, since the 60s, 70s. And um, I got to Pinda, and I thought it was fantastic. What a wonderful place. I loved the proximity of the coast. I loved the lakes surrounding Pinda. I loved the whole story of bringing together the, the, the different farms and trying to rewild and create a, a, a game reserve from, from nothing that, that basically had been a various different farms. That really, really interested me. And this was in 1992 on, our, on that trip, I was, I was telling you. And then in 94, I decided to come back and start working with the company, Conservation Corporation, as it was then, and um, started, at, uh, started at Pinder, and went to Londolozi, did a stint at Ungala, 
and I think my main job was really just carrying luggage from one room to the next, from the Land Rover to the Safari Suite at Dungala, or from the Land Rover to the main camp at Londolozi, or running up and down the hill at Mountain Lodge. That seemed to be my job initially. I was very good at that. Yeah, so then the following year, by 95, I decided to come back and get more involved with, with stuff uh, going on, on the ground, especially with the uh, building of the lodges and de lodge development, which was a big thing in those days. That's when the company was expanding. I brought my girlfriend out in 1995. She started working at, um, at Pinder Forest Lodge as a, as a chef. She's always been a very good chef. I'm sure we'll get onto that later. But from then on, I started working with Les Carlisle, who's down here. He was doing a lot of community stuff. And so we were going out to the communities. And it was the very beginning of the Africa Foundation. It was the RIF then, Rural Investment Fund. What is it like to be here all these years later, on a reserve where the return of nature has been carefully nurtured for 30 years? What are some of the most striking contrasts that you can see? Well, I mean, that, it's quite something. Pinda is a remarkable story. I certainly don't take any credit for any of it. I just happened to be here at the time and, and live through it. So, yes, I do have some amazing recollection, and it's, a, it's an extraordinary story to tell, actually. Um, you know, from the very beginning to what it is now is, is quite remarkable. It's, it's turned into a leading game reserve in southern Africa, if not in Africa. A lot of the data that we're, we're putting together is going to be used um, and is being used. We've helped in changing laws. We've helped the protection of, of various species, the reintroduction of, of, of rare animals. And so from what it was then to what it is now is quite something. It's obviously that what's happened in the communities is another whole, whole thing, and that's an amazing story. Because I can barely, barely take people to these communities, because if I take them there now, they go, well, there's, what's the problem here? There's no issue here. Why should I be supporting this? This, is, this looks absolutely fine to me. And to try to explain to them what it was like, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, is, is really quite difficult. So it, we've almost got to the point where we've done too well here. And we've got to take people to another area to show them what we need to do and then bring them here and say, this is what it can actually look like after 25 years of, of help in, in, the, in the communities. Tara, please tell us a little bit about what it was like out in the communities 25 years ago. Well, we used to go out, Les used to drag me to these meetings that went on all day, where I couldn't understand a word that was being spoken, obviously, having a uh, fresh face from England. And it was, obviously still is, very tribal, so you're, so you're getting involved in the whole way that they do things. There was no electricity, there were no roads, there was no health centres, there were no very, the schools were very, very basic, just under a tree type thing, and it was... It was a real, real rural community that you could see was in need of all sorts of things. And in fact, this little pocket of Africa, of South Africa, slightly wedged between the Mozambican border and Swaziland coming down the side, is a slightly forgotten pocket. And there was huge unemployment. There was, there was a lot of poverty. Then, of course, we had the AIDS thing going through. And there was no access. So one of the things that Pinder did was, was actually help motivate the development of a main road going straight through on the edge of the what is now the, the World Heritage Site, Isimangalisu, up to the Mozambique border. So there's been so much progress that it's difficult to recognize what it was and what it is now. It's a huge success story. And it's something that we need to get out there. It needs to be told. The story needs to be told properly. What was it that captivated you about the tourism model that and Beyond, then known as Conservation Corporation, was promoting in those early days? 
and that has kept you captivated to the extent that you have built your home here on the Munyawana? Well, I mean, I think I bought into the concept of, of, of ecotourism in 1990-91. That was Conservation Corporation, the two founders, Dave Varty and Alan Bernstein. And so I bought into what they were saying. I thought it was a fantastic idea. I was very keen on, on seeing how it could work. The company then expanded into East Africa, so I certainly had a choice of places that I could try and base myself. And I'm not sure what it was that got me set on Pinda and on this area of Zululand and on basing myself here. I do love all the different ecosystems, all within a small area. I love the ability of being able to have a morning game drive and then go for an afternoon dive on some of the most spectacular coral reefs with dolphins and whale sharks and, and all the amazing stuff. Having the coast so close is quite rare, I think, with regards to, to game reserves. And, and then, of course, all the different lakes that you can go and, and the birding. And so I thought it was a rather magical spot. And I think that it just... I don't think there was any clear intention to say, right, I'm definitely going to stay here. But it, it slowly evolved, and then we bought a house, built a house, rather. And then we said, right, we'll start let's develop some land and and it kind of started from there and it's yeah still going <laughs> <laughs> yeah that must be absolutely surreal to see tara you have been part of the picture ever since the very birth of the africa foundation tell us a little bit about how that came about and how do you see the africa foundation growing and developing in the years ahead if you go back to to 1991 92 when the company realized there was a need beyond just employing the local community to work in the lodges, to try and empower them through that. We realized that there was, there was a greater need than that. There was no healthcare, there was no education, and, and so we needed to, to help with that. And so it sort of started slowly, organically like that, with, with some small money coming in, and then it developed into what is now Africa Foundation, I got roped in in sort of 97, I would say, 97, 98, and started focusing more on Africa Foundation than anything else, going off and doing the difficult fundraising stuff in America. And the, the vision was to, to help develop these, these communities and help them achieve what they felt they needed. We never told them what they needed. You know, they would come to us, we'd sit down with them, we'd talk to them, we'd, we'd, we'd see what, what we could do. So we very much let them decide what it was that they were needing. And if we agreed with it, we would go and, and, and help fundraise and then develop it. And so it started very small. Africa Foundation still is relatively small. There's a huge need for Africa Foundation as we develop, as the company develops. I think it's done incredibly well with small means. It's, it's not been spending huge amounts of money compared to some of these enormous charities. So it's always been a very small thing. They've delivered amazing projects. Going forward, there's still a need as we start to expand into South America, maybe even Central America, obviously Asia. We've started to try and help in India. It's a massive, massive enterprise. Where it's going, I think it's amazing. I think we've got some really good people involved now, and I think it's going to, under the new um, leadership, I'm sure it's going to go really, really well. Yeah. I don't want to put my rose-tinted glasses on yet, but uh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> These days, Pinda is part of a greater conservation area known as the Munyawana Game Reserve. How did the vision for this come about and what is your hope for its future? Well, I mean, I think, as I said, we didn't, it, 
it, it was organic, our development of the Minuana and our involvement in the Minuana. And we started to, to expand our, our properties here. The view was always to try and drop fences with your neighbor, try and expand the green frontiers. And I bought into the idea of, of trying to open up corridors for migration again, for animals to be able to move, even if it's just a small area, you know, little by little. And so I think the Minuana still has a long, long way to go. I think, I think it's really exciting what, what's happening here. I think with all the, all the research that's done, and, and as I said earlier, all the introduction of these rare species and the protection of the rhino, the dropping of the fences, I'd love to continue to expand into our, our neighboring game reserves and neighboring properties who are now finally keen to, to, to come on board. And, and um, we've, already, we've already had a lot of success on the, on the Zuka side of doing that. And Pinder's had its own success in the northern section of the game reserve. And so, yeah, I think the Minuan could continue to expand and develop. Are there plans to replicate the Pinder model elsewhere? I think there is talk of it in South America. It's very early stages, but it would be amazing to be able to do that and to, and to try, and, try and develop that in other countries. I think South America would be an interesting one. More recently, you've been a great supporter of marine conservation. Can you tell us a bit about where your interest in the oceans began? Well, I suppose from my love of sailing and all things boating, and, and that started from my youth when I was brought up in the south of France. I was brought up on the sea. I had a small boat from day one, just a little dinghy. So obviously I spend a lot of my time, if I'm not here, I, I spend it racing my sailing boat and doing fun things there if I'm not stuck in England. And over the last five, what, last decade, I guess, awareness has come that we've been abusing everything from the atmosphere that we know about now, but also recently the sea. And the amount of plastic in the sea is now being you know, monitored. And, and, and so the damage done by, by ships and by too many people is all being documented now, and we all know that. And I think that we, we decided to try and do something in our own small little way, and we set up Ocean's Family Foundation which is four families that have come together who are all like-minded and love the sea and want to help and to try and help conserve it and help do something about the plastic and help, help in with the coral and all the various things. And when you start focusing on that, it's actually really interesting. There are some really interesting things out there that are happening. And so that started a few years ago and it's been quite successful. Certainly one of our first projects was... Um, Oceans Without Borders, which was an in initiative that we did with and beyond and the Africa Foundation. And that has actually been a great success. And we're, I think, three years into that. And we're looking to another three years. We're looking to expanding what we're doing on the Indian Ocean side. We're working in four different areas from Tanzania to Mozambique and then all the way down here off the coast of Pinda in, the, in those southern coral reefs. It's nice to be able to give back in a small way and, and to get, get involved in these things. And to have four families do it that way where you're not relying on fundraising. You're putting your own money in. You're not having to go and fundraise, which is, as we all know, one of the most difficult things to do. Thankless task. And it's getting wheels. It's getting momentum. It's quite exciting. Tara, you've done a great deal of fundraising for Africa Foundation over the years. Can you talk us a little bit through how you explain the need for funding to people who live in vastly different circumstances in the U.S.? and who are so far removed from the realities of the situation in Africa. I mean, it, it was, it's hard work. I've always said, once you get them here and see what we do, then they're, they're sold. But obviously, trying to explain our story, which I've always thought is a pretty unique story. We've got a unique situation here with a lot of charities are spending a lot of their money on fundraising rather than 
sending it to where it should be going. We haven't been doing that. So our story was, was a bit of that. Our story was ecotourism. Our story was what we're doing for the people here. Um, we had a bit of help fundraising. We went to different institutions. We, uh, we had a friend called who became a great friend of ours, Howard Buffett. He was a huge supporter of Pinder. And he, he now has the Buffett Foundation. And he was very helpful initially in pointing us in the right direction to go and try and open some doors, get some funding. Gosh, it was a long time ago. I can't remember all the places we went to, but it was a matter of going and knocking on doors and trying to, you know, from the Coca-Cola Foundation to the Ford Foundation to all of these places. And we often didn't get anything, but sometimes we did. And um, some of them are still supporters to this day. Yeah, it's, it's hard work fundraising in the States, trying to sell that, that concept and trying to tell them that, look what we've done and this is what we want to do. And if you came, you'd understand it. But you sort of have to take it from us that, you know, this is an amazing thing. So then they'd turn around and say, well, why doesn't the company fund it? And I go, well, they are funding it, but, you know, we need, we need more. And, yeah, it's quite, quite difficult. Mm, I can imagine. It's very obvious that your involvement with and beyond Pinda and the Africa Foundation has been an intensely personal journey. What is it about Africa that has got under your skin so much and that has kept you coming back? Luckily for my loving wife, she bought into it as well. Otherwise... It wouldn't have been possible. You know, it wouldn't have happened. It, it couldn't have happened. Between the two of us, we've developed it and we've gone on and done our own bazooka bit alongside the Ambion thing. And it's very much, as you say, it gets under your skin and, and, and you can't be without it. In fact, due to this COVID thing, we were away for a year. And that's the longest time I've been out of Africa since 1994, which is, you know, quarter of a century. So it was quite a shock, actually, that a year could go by and we couldn't get here and... Um, it's very exciting and it's not over and we're still doing some exciting stuff. Pinda and the Beyond model were one of the very first examples of ecotourism in action. How did this concept come about at the time? And how has it influenced the growth and development of the company ever since? Ecotourism is such a cliche now, but actually Dave Varty really was the pioneer behind all this to try and, try and make something work, actually make it financially viable, as well as return for the people and for the for the wildlife, the three C's. And that now it, you just drop the word out there, ecotourism and everyone has jumped on that bandwagon and quite rightly so too. But I mean, I think that CCA Conservation Corporation was the very, very first and the founders were the people who, who set that in motion. And it was Dave Varty's idea to run with it, the care of the land, care of the people and care of the wildlife. And care of the wildlife was happening through the establishment of places like Pender and Angala. And, but it was care of the people that was the issue because we suddenly realized that employing them was not enough and we were going to have to do more in the communities and hence Rural Investment Fund was born and now Africa Foundation has come out of that. So Dave was very much very ins inspirational in the early days and those three C's came from him and um, they still are very strong within the company now and it's nice to see Africa Foundation still embracing that. And, of course, care of the wildlife has now expanded to the oceans, as we were talking about, and to the rhino and to everything else. A lot of your work with Africa has focused greatly on education. Tell us a little bit about that and how your involvement in it has grown. We decided, finally, I've been helping um, Africa Foundation, gosh, for 20 years now, more than 20 years, in little bits, funding here and there and everything else. And, and I've seen and I've encouraged my friends to to get involved and build schools. And I've got two, two, two wonderful friends who've just done that. And I suddenly thought one day, wouldn't it be nice to actually, if we actually focused as a family, 
and did a school for ourselves. And so we did that a few years ago, and now the school opened in January. Sadly, we couldn't be there on Lake Manyara in a beautiful, beautiful location in, in Tanzania. We have a lodge nearby. We can't wait to get there and go and see it, but sadly it had to open without us being there. And that's really, really an exciting and, and, and hugely satisfying thing for us. And I really hope that, that it goes well and that the communities are, are benefiting from it. The education side, I think it came in through the foundation. I didn't just wake up and think actually education is, is, is one of the key areas. But when you look at it and you look how certainly parts of South Africa were needing education and a lot of the local population were not being educated properly and that education really is something that can really help somebody go forward and take their lives and, and move up in the world and, and manage to find employment. So we as a foundation focused on it and I think that I, I embraced that idea and I helped with the cleft bursary scheme was very interesting for me so I started supporting that and then obviously we had all the classrooms being built and, and that that been going on for, for donkey's years. And going forward, it still is a really important part of, of what we're doing. Tara, what's next for you? If there was one thing left that you could do, what would it be? Well, I don't think I've finished doing what's happening here. So I would still continue to persevere and try and expand the frontiers of what we're doing here. I would love to join forces with Makuzi on our boundary. And I would love to continue with those projects, which is to, to increase our drop fences and to increase the wilderness area. I think... I think going forward, it's shrinking because we're an expanding population. And so population is going into, just because they're forced to, going into prime wilderness areas. And we need to try and preserve some of those areas for the future and make it work with communities. And that's the key. And that's the key to ecotourism, actually. And it's the key to, to making, it, making the African wildlife work, I think. It's about the people as much as about the animals. That's my conclusion. And so I would continue doing the stuff I'm doing now. Do you believe that ecotourism works? Well, I think you've got to have staying power because um, it's taken a long, long time to get to the position we're in now. And the result now is that it most definitely works. The company and beyond has been in a very strong position now for, the, for several years. It's expanding. It's taking the model to other countries, continents even. And so my answer to that would be, in the long term, it most definitely works. For us, it was a difficult ride to start with because people didn't understand it. But now I think it's, it's definitely something worth pursuing for anyone else who's brave enough to go down that road. If you had to do it all over again, would you? And what would you change? Oh, I'd definitely do it all over again. Absolutely. I've had a wonderful time doing it, despite all the stress and strain and the, the bleed rate and the... <laughs> but it's been a, a fantastic journey and I would recommend it to anyone else. I would... Would I do it the same way? No, not exactly the same way. I would try to make some cleverer decisions than we, we have done. I would definitely back that as a family investment to get the family involved in something that's, that takes you away from just investing in stocks and shares and in companies that have no face and stuff that's not really of any interest to, to actually something that's really doing good, yet 30 years down the road, 25 years down the road, 15 years down the road, it is showing a return and it has a core value and it's made a huge difference to to the way we see things and to tens of thousands of, of people in rural areas and to protecting things like the pangolin and the rhino and, and all that sort of stuff which are 
which are leading at the moment, they're out there. So, yeah, I think it's a very satisfying thing to get involved in, absolutely. I do think that what we're doing now with the, the protecting of these rare, the reintroduction of these rare animals and things is, is something that um, is really interesting. And I went to see the pangolin the other day for the first time because I haven't been here for a year. And, and it just struck me as, as an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary animal. Um, it's so vulnerable and it's so wrong what's happening to them that you, you've got to look at that and think, gosh, this is a really, really good thing. And we need to, we need to focus on that. We are anyway, but we need to carry on focusing on these extraordinary, extraordinary situations that are presented to us. Release these animals because we've created a safe environment for them to be in. And I think we were the first people to be approached to release these extraordinary creatures. Yeah, that, I think that's an interesting part. And then obviously my, my usual expansion is, is always, always close to my heart. But I think we've spoken about all that. Thank you so much for sharing some of your memories with us, Tara. We wish you the very best for your future plans. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about And Beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.